The History Channel Original Podcast. It was called McDonald's Famous Barbecue, just off historic Route 66 in San Bernardino, California. The popular drive-in restaurant was the place to eat and to be for locals in the years following World War II. Female car hops in majorette boots served customers. Teens loitered. The 25-item menu offered everything from barbecue and chili to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and tamales. But there was no indoor seating, and customers often couldn't find parking spots. The owners of the restaurant were Maurice Mack McDonald and his younger brother, Richard Dick McDonald. They knew they had a huge hit on their hands. But Dick and Mac also knew that the crowds, lack of parking, and lengthy wait times meant they were leaving tons of money on the table, more than they could ever imagine. That popular barbecue joint was the birthplace of a chain that would one day serve 75 burgers a second all over the world. Because the McDonald brothers were going to create perhaps the most efficient restaurant that California and the country had ever seen. With the help of an ambitious salesman named Ray Kroc, they would use their new business models as a blueprint for changing the way the entire world eats. But the McDonald brothers would lose the brand they had created in the process. I'm Sean Braswell. On this episode of The Food That Built America, the story behind the franchise that's so dominant, its name has become a synonym for fast food, McDonald's. Nineteen thirty, the Great Depression. Many Americans turned to Hollywood to distract them from the world around them. For Dick and Mac McDonald, it was an opportunity. The brothers opened a movie theater, hoping to strike it rich in this new media industry. They came west in search of fortune and maybe even fame in the early days of the movie industry, and uh, they wound up pulling sets in on, on movie sets, early movie sets. Lisa Napoli is the author of Ray and Joan, the man who made the McDonald's fortune and the woman who gave it all away. But they really were committed to working for themselves. They didn't want to work hauling sets. So they wound up buying a movie theater outside of Los Angeles and getting into the business end of the business. Dick and Mac McDonald were brothers from a large family in New Hampshire. They had seen their father get laid off from his shoe factory job after a lifetime of service. It had made them suspicious of working for someone else. They wanted to work for themselves. They also hoped to become millionaires by age 50. But... They recognized pretty quickly that selling movie tickets wasn't making them as much money as selling food. The brothers needed a new plan. They sold the movie theater. But they weren't ready to give up on the Golden State. Zalati Meyer is a culinary historian and reporter at Fast Company. California itself is known as the place where dreamers go. It's the end of the continent. That's where you make your mark, whether you were in the gold rush or today seeking your fortune in Hollywood. Instead of movies, the McDonald brothers decided to capitalize on another big industry in the state, automobiles. Cars weren't a household item yet, but they were incredibly desirable. Even though most people couldn't afford cars and they weren't something that was generally a casual acquisition, when someone got one, everybody talked. Dick and Mac certainly cared about their cars. They were hardworking guys. They, they loved working. Their big indulgence was to buy themselves new Cadillacs each year. 
And the brothers had a feeling cars weren't just going to be a temporary fad. They were not far from Route 66. Uh, I think that it was impossible for them to have not seen that, that the world was about to just completely transform. More Americans than ever were taking to the road. Sarah Wasberg Johnson is a culinary historian and host of the food history podcast, History Bites. As Americans were starting to do this, while they were on the road, while they were traveling from place to place, they wanted access to food that was close to the highway system, close to roads, easily accessible. They wanted food that was familiar and they wanted food that was consistent. Combining these two money-making enterprises, cars and food, the brothers decided to open a restaurant, McDonald's Famous Barbecue. It was a big success, but it was not just the overcrowding and wait times that were a problem. They saw that really, even though they had this great barbecue master who'd set them up, that people weren't buying that food. What people were buying were burgers and fries and shakes and Cokes. The brothers needed to make a change. And luckily for them, the country was about to change along with them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 1941, America entered World War II. A generation of young men went to war. Women who had never expected to work outside their homes found themselves punching time clocks in factories. Libby O'Connell is a cultural historian and the author of The American Plate. There's a proverb, a man works from sun to sun, a woman's work is never done. Well, it was really true in the 19th century when women were in charge of cooking for the family. But now that women were going off to work, the balance of household labor was changing. Women are no longer at home with a little apron on waiting for someone to come so they can put the hot meal on the table. They're working too. Jessica Harris is a culinary historian and author of High on the Hog. Before this time, most women in the workforce were poor, unmarried, single women. Wealthier married women stayed at home. But by 1950, women made up one third of the total labor force. And so what happens when a woman goes into the workplace and you've got two working family members in a nuclear household? You've got a problem. You know, it's not, honey, I'm home. It's, okay, we're home. What are we going to eat? I'm too tired, we're going out. Meanwhile, Americans had more disposable income. They wanted to spend it on food and entertainment. This is a period of unprecedented prosperity, an unprecedented boom. Bryant Simon is a history professor at Temple University and author of Everything But the Coffee. The gap between the richest and poorest Americans is the flattest it's ever been, 
and maybe ever will be. More people than ever could afford things previously seen as luxuries, like cars, and dining out at a new type of restaurant, the drive-in. It would be a big treat to take the whole family to this restaurant, but it was still affordable enough that the average person uh, could, could imagine doing it occasionally as a treat. Lisa Napoli. The idea of having a person, typically it was a woman, deliver you food to the window of your car was super attractive because people were so in love with their cars when they bought them that they didn't want to get out of them. And so the brothers saw that. And barbecue was not the easiest meal to eat in the car, especially if you cared about that new upholstery. It starts with the hamburger. The hamburger is, is in some ways the perfect American food. It's a perfect meal for a nation on the go. And it's a meal that can be eaten in a car. At the same time, an important customer demographic exploded in America. Suddenly, businesses were catering to teenagers. Companies begin to sort of develop these spaces where teenagers can hang out. McDonald's is one of them. Many drive-in restaurants became teen hangouts, which caused some problems. So car hops were very sexy, and the boys gathered to hang out with them. And that posed a problem if you were running a business, because uh, there were shenanigans going on in the parking lots. It also didn't make for a very fast or satisfying dining experience for other customers. The brothers recognized, you know, people are going to want to start eating on the go, and they're not going to want to wait and plot and deal with having to wait for the food. They're going to start eating on the move. They felt like there had to be a way to improve the system, to make it faster and more efficient. The car hops were sort of hamburger 101. Now we want to do hamburger 102 because the car hop restaurants did take a long time. It was more of an outing than it was a feeding. So the McDonald's took inspiration from a surprising source, the model that works so well to produce their trusty Cadillacs and other cars. Henry Ford had put the car on the assembly line. Their whole idea was that we're going to put the hamburger on the assembly line. But they needed time to reinvent the drive-in restaurant. So they shocked their legions of loyal customers by going back to the drawing board. The brothers did something that a lot of people thought was crazy. They shut down their restaurant and they reimagined how they were going to get the food to the people. So in the time while they were shut down, they went to the tennis court behind their house. They marked out the exact dimensions of their restaurant with chalk on the tennis court and drew outlines of how each food preparation station in the kitchen might work. And they literally choreographed how it was going to be a burger ballet, if you will. Zalati Meyer. And legend has it that that night after they had made all these marks on the tennis court, it rained. I don't know how often it rained in San Bernardino, but apparently it rained that night, washed it all away. But these two were so determined that they came back again the next day and redid it. Dick and Mac McDonald made more changes that set them apart from other fast food restaurants of the time. When the brothers reopened, the restaurant was no longer a seedy teen hangout. They wanted it very clean and family-friendly, a place where mom wanted to be for her night out. And they succeeded. Libby O'Connell. You could sit down at McDonald's or there would be picnic tables outside, and it was a clean, very family-friendly environment. 
the restaurant was like a fishbowl. And so you could see inside and see the food preparation. And that was very exciting for everyone uh, to watch other people make food for you. They also switched from dishes to using paper plates that could be thrown away. And they cut down the menu to nine key items. No more barbecue. By limiting the original menu, it allowed them to sort of focus on kind of quality control and focus specifically on speed. Adam Richman is a television host and author of Straight Up Tasty. The notion of making five milkshakes at a time, five burgers at a time, shooting your ketchup out of a dispenser gun, putting exactly two pickles per burger, self-service, fountain sodas, things like this. It just simply wasn't done. The brothers' new limited menu included hamburgers, fries, and milkshakes. As it turned out, it was the milkshakes that would lead the brothers to their downfall. While the McDonald brothers were perfecting their business model, a man named Ray Kroc was pursuing his own dreams of success. For a while, Kroc made his living as a piano player. But he had a family, started a family, and he needed to have a more reliable source of income. Lisa Napoli. So he started selling paper cups. When he started selling paper cups, this was a huge revolution, sort of like your iPhone is today to communications. A paper cup was then to the food business. One day while selling paper cups, Kroc met the owners of an ice cream stand. They had a new kind of milkshake mixer that allowed you to mix multiple milkshakes at once. And Ray loved this gizmo. He always loved what was shiny and bright and new. He convinced them to let him sell these multi-mixers to other people. Ray started selling these mixers and earning more money than ever. But he still felt he hadn't found his calling. Some people are perennial innovators. Some people are always looking for the next big thing, even if they've got plenty of money and plenty of success. He just had a sense that there was something larger for him to achieve, to accomplish, and he hadn't quite found it yet. Then Ray Kroc received the biggest order for milkshake mixers he'd ever gotten. They came from a little restaurant in California called McDonald's. The brothers had placed an order for six multi-mixers, and this was an, an odd thing, that, that there would be an order placed for six of these machines. Most restaurants needed one at a time, max. And Ray was curious. He was out west for a restaurant show, and he figured, why not? Why don't I just get in the car and go see what's going on out there? Zalati Meyer. He came out there, he saw this efficiency that these brothers had, this beautiful burger ballet, and said, I want to do this. Kroc told Dick and Mac McDonald he wanted in. The brothers were hesitant. They had already franchised their restaurant nine times. Initially, it was hard to keep a guy in a distant place from um, doing something differently, introducing different decor, different products. Their franchisees could do what they wanted and still call it McDonald's. They were shocked when the first guy who came to buy a franchise named his own franchise McDonald's. They thought, why did you just not call it Fox? Why did you call it, which was his last name, why did you call it McDonald's? And he basically said, you dummies, I like your formula. I want to replicate your formula, including your name. Michael Side is a global franchise consultant. 
They are incredibly unhappy with their franchisees because all they were doing was licensing their brand and not doing anything to support the franchisees. They weren't policing the system. They didn't care what you did after that. They just sold you the, the blueprint and they collected their $950. Dick and Mac weren't making much money from the expansion. So Ray Kroc suggested a new model, one where both he and the McDonald's would take a cut of all franchise profits. Instead of a one-time payment, the brothers would get half a percentage point of each franchise's profits. They agreed to Kroc's plan. Ray Kroc becomes what is, in essence, a master franchisee. He becomes a salesman. He signs a deal with, uh, with the McDonald's brothers, and then he, lack of a better term, he ignores the hell out of the deal. Kroc secretly incorporated McDonald's on his own in his home state of Illinois. It was the first step toward the creation of an iconic global franchise. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There were a lot of reasons why America was ready for the concept of national chain restaurants. Jeffrey Ingle is a history professor at Southern Methodist University. The 1950s becomes an extraordinarily conservative time, not necessarily politically, but in terms of how people live their lives. You don't need as much excitement once you've seen World War II or lived through the Great Depression. And people demonstrate that in many ways by what they eat. They want something that they can trust that's consistent. People are traveling more, visiting places they've never been. One of the consequences of the interstate system, of the building of roads, of the ability for people to take that great American road trip is frankly the homogenization of American commerce. People when they're driving want to know what they're going to eat. So the idea of a restaurant chain that would be the same no matter where you are became more and more appealing. This was new in this country, the idea that you could eat the same thing in Arizona that you could eat in Indiana. This was a new concept. Ray Kroc saw this and decided to standardize all the McDonald's franchises. Ray was manic on quality standards. There were lots of stories about Ray Kroc walking into a franchisee's location, looking around, jumping up on the counter and ordering everybody out of the restaurant because he wasn't satisfied. Kroc wasn't the most pleasant person to work with in general. Ray had a volatile temper, and he was a big drinker. You know, he was a big talker, 
too. People either really loved him or really hated him. He wanted to do things his way, and he didn't like compromising with the McDonald brothers. Finally, he approached the brothers and asked how much it would take to buy them out. They thought about it, and they said, okay, we want $2.7 million, $1 million each for us, and $700,000 to pay the taxes. That's how practical they were. Ray went crazy. The company had nowhere near that kind of money. But Ray was determined. Eventually, he convinced investors to lend him the money, and he bought out the brothers. Now he could finally do what he wanted with the business. Ray Kroc's genius was in taking other people's ideas and molding them, not claiming that they were his own, but in putting them together. But there was one problem. Ray was pretty sure that he'd purchased the original McDonald's as part of the deal. Uh, the brothers were pretty sure that they intended to keep operating this McDonald's and ultimately sell it to their longtime faithful employees. They couldn't even agree on who owned the name McDonald's. The brothers wanted to keep using the name too. When they refused to give up the name, Ray had his lawyers talk to them. They changed the name of their McDonald's to the Big M. And then he opened up a McDonald's two blocks away and put him out of business. Adam Richman. It's all well and good to think of these captains of industry as these saints because they've done so much. But I think that it's very telling that Ray Kroc even said, I'm not a vindictive man, but I'm gonna screw these guys. In the end, the McDonald brothers had to close their original restaurant and Ray Kroc kept operating his business under their name. Was he right in taking away the brand that they created? I think he was mean-spirited. Uh, I don't think it was necessary. I think it was uh, probably one of the more uh, crueler things. Some of the biggest innovations behind McDonald's came from the McDonald brothers themselves. For example, the famous golden arches, which they originally installed to draw the attention of passers-by. There weren't a lot of road signs before the rise of car culture in America. Jeffrey Ingle. California is one of the first places that really falls in love with the car, and therefore falls in love with roads, and therefore falls in love with signs, telling people in those cars where they're going. Dick and Mac wanted to make the McDonald's restaurant big and visible from the highway. Ray Kroc developed this idea into the giant golden arch, which was easier to replicate across all of the franchises. The sign is still seen on most McDonald's today, still visible from roads and highways. Bryant Simon. Fast food really does is fundamentally transform the kind of vernacular landscape. If you just think about a drive across America, right, what marks that drive are fast food signs that need to be bright and garish and consumed at 60 miles an hour. Kroc also built on the brothers' original concept of simple, quickly made food, Adam Richmond. It's profoundly unpretentious food, it's profoundly approachable food, and whatever you think of the quality, it's understandable and affordable. But there's a downside to that fast, inexpensive food. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says more than a third of American adults eat fast food every day. That's a lot of extra fat and sodium. Around the same time that American-style fast food restaurants expanded into China, not just McDonald's, researchers found that obesity increased more than 20%.
Kroc continued to standardize the restaurants because he understood that was what people wanted. It created the sort of comfort of anywhere I go in the United States, if I see those golden arches, I know what that sandwich is gonna taste like. You can get a Big Mac or an Egg McMuffin anywhere in the world, and it will almost exactly be the same. And that's something people still want today. You already know what it tastes like. You already roughly know what it's gonna cost. You know what the experience is gonna be like, and I think that there's a degree of comfort that's commensurate with that. Not just comfort, speed. I think that we live in a society where how fast can you get something? How fast is the internet? I want it faster, I want it now, I want it quickly. Zalati Meyer. Fast food definitely has changed our concept of how quickly we can get a meal. You could think about the millions or billions of dollars that are funneled into the American economy because workers that go out and get a meal for six minutes, well, it no longer takes an hour. Lisa Napoli. I don't think there's any way to divorce McDonald's from that moment in time and, and the cultural forces that were shifting. McDonald's itself didn't change America. McDonald's was part and parcel of America changing. On the next episode of The Food That Built America. It was cheap, quick, snack food for the people. The story of how pizza went from an Italian novelty to one of America's favorite foods. Domino's definitely filled a niche when we were young, hungry, and uh, mostly sober college students. The two pairs of Irish-American brothers behind it. It's totally bonkers that these guys who have no idea how to make pizza, within about a year of them opening their first restaurant, they start franchising. And the two upstart companies that would take a new version of pizza to the world. For me, and for people like me that grew up on authentic Italian food, on authentic Italian pizza, Domino's and Pizza Hut resemble authentic Italian food as much as I resemble Emily Dickinson. This episode of the Food That Built America podcast was written and produced by Sean Braswell, Julia Linus Goodman, and LaToya Tools, and edited and produced by Maeve McGoran. Jesse Katz, Jim Pascarella, and Mary Donahue were executive producers. Sound design by Chris Hoff. Special thanks to McKamey Lynn and Tracy Moran. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Please make sure to subscribe to The Food That Built America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great history podcasts, check out History This Week from History or Flashback from Ozzy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.